called Courageous Generosity. Uh, we had a... Um, uh, we had a beautiful October with our spiritual warfare series and all that God did in that, and I was excited. We had uh, 35 people here for the training this week, Amen. It was great. So some of you, some of you are uh, probably tired of hearing me talk as we walk through the whole weekend, and uh, so uh, I decided that this morning uh, we're going to start off this series, and my goal is to get it framed up at least initially somehow as we kick into this month of Thanksgiving, but uh, it would be great to have somebody else share with you, especially because I have been looking forward to this opportunity, oh wow, for a couple years, and so uh, you are going to be blessed this morning by hearing God's transformational work in the life of someone you see up here on the stage most every week, and uh, he is he plays a pretty mean guitar, and so would you please welcome to the stage Ozzy. There you go. Um, All right. So Ozzy is a friend of Joe's. And so tell us a little bit about, I mean, sort of the connection. And I want him to share his faith story. And so as Ozzy shares his faith story, I just want you to frame it up a little bit about maybe how you got connected here, I guess, and those kinds of things. But some of the, the life that you uh, were leading in your earlier years. Um, okay. I can do that. Uh, can everybody hear me? All right. Um, so the life I was leading, um, you know, I, I uh, spoke to a therapist one time and uh, she said, you know, trace back your earliest memory. And uh, the earliest memory I have was uh, my dad being taken away to prison. You know, And uh, I was three years old and I still remember it. He was uh, robbing people at gunpoint with me in the car, you know? And uh, so when they picked him up, they brought me back to my mom, you know? And um, I grew up in that kind of life where my family is very involved into uh, Mexican cartels. And, um, you know, my mom was uh, really weak, really codependent. And so when my dad got you know, went to prison, um, and uh, he left. And now I think he's in Mexico. But um, I had to grow up with my mom, and my mom was very unhealthy at the time. And uh, so she would drop me off at my uncle's, you know, and I uh, ended up getting raped by a few family members. And uh, I had to see my sister get raped. Uh, I, had, I I come from this life where, you know, you're not really, you're just trying to survive from the time you're born. And so the life I was leading, you know, I remember um, the first time I took a drink. You know, I was really young. Um, and I took this drink, and I, I was born with a, a panic disorder um, that did not get better over the years if that's what you're going through in life, you know. Um, so the first time I took a drink, I was at peace. I felt warm, felt good, and uh, and instantly all my anxiety and all my pain, you know, went away. Uh, my mom remarried, uh, or my mom married uh, my stepdad uh, after my dad went to prison, and uh, he was a raging alcoholic, you know. And so it made sense to me to take a drink because I see everybody doing that, you know. And so when I took a drink, I was around nine years old. And like I said, all that worry, anxiety, fear, depression, uh, it just went away. And immediately, that's what my life became about. Um, I was robbing people. I was helping my friend Frankie sell guns. I was helping my friend Justin over there um, grow weed, and uh, I was helping our friend Andy make meth. Um, you know, I was a very evil guy, but just because I didn't know how to, just because I was lost, you know. Some of us don't get 
people to show us how to live life, you know. Um, the life I was leading, you know, as a, at my worst point, um, I was getting jumped by some gang members. I was getting held at gunpoint. People were trying to kill me, and I was fighting for my life. And I've OD'd two or three times. I've tried to commit suicide a few times. I have 23 stitches on my arm, you know. Um, you want to talk about a dark place. Um, that was the life I was leading. Didn't care if I had, didn't have a place to stay. You know, I was just into trying to survive. And and it wasn't like, you know, I was an evil guy. Um, I was just doing the best with what I had in my own mind. You know, um, by the end of it, I was uh, schizophrenic, bipolar, manic-depressive, panic disorder. I was just literally every mental problem you could have and addicted to heroin, addicted to um, drinking. I was an alcoholic. I was drinking moonshine, shooting up heroin, and, you know, let's not even get started on my sexual relationships because it was not the healthiest thing, you know, and um, that was the life I led, just trying to survive. So I first met Ozzy three years ago now, or maybe four, yeah, two or three, two or three, what is it? And Ozzy, close friend of Joe's, who led worship this morning, if you don't know Joe. And um, I said, Oz, let's uh, go have lunch over here at Rustico's. And um, I sat across from him at the table. He began to unfold his life. And um, to take him back. Maybe a few of us can identify with that kind of a troubled life in here. Majority of us, I'm sure, not to the depth of what you were walking through at that age. But um, you then began to share with me this crisis moment that happened in your life. Um, I always believe that God is on people's trail, whether they realize it or not. But um, you were at what age when a lot of this dark time was happening? You were how old then? Um, from the time I was born until 19 years old. Okay. Yeah. All right. So what happened? During the crisis moment, yeah. Yeah. Um, what happened was, uh, you know, you're not supposed to shoot up, you know, grams of heroin, drink moonshine, and uh, smoke meth all at the same time. You're not supposed to do that, you know. And uh, <laughs> just in case you needed to know this morning, right? Uh, I was at 19 years old. I was six foot tall and 123 pounds. Um, I had really long hair, um, and my skin was turning green. And uh, I was dying. And but you know when you're when you're in that lifestyle you're like hey I'm getting pretty ripped you know like <laughs> but that's not the truth um, so what happened was uh, I I came back you know I was with my friend Gene and uh, we were getting high and I'd called my mom to ask if I could stay there um, and so she said yeah so uh, we're we're from Elsinore uh, on Grand. If you guys know that area, you know what I'm talking about. And um, so I went down there, and we were driving down the street from that from my mom's house, and there was cops everywhere on the street, you know. And I'm thinking, damn, like they they know I'm here, you know. And uh, you know, like five cops in Elsinore know me by name, and every time I see them, they're like, oh, you still clean, and I'm. You know, so I thought, okay, this is it. It's all caught up to me. I'm going to, I'm going away for a while. But it turns out, you know, just some girl got raped on the street, and that was cool with me because at least I wasn't going to jail, you know. And um, so I go into the ha my mom's house, and uh, I was really high. I think I I had done a lot that day, and I was tasting um, blood in my throat for about the past two weeks. And I was wondering, like, what what's that from, you know? But I didn't really care. Um, and so, uh, me and my friend Gene, you know, we we went to sleep. We passed out. 
and uh, when I I went to go wake up, and I couldn't wake up. And uh, so what happened was when I was caught in the middle of an overdose, you know, and uh, Narcan wasn't a thing back then, for those of you who know what Narcan is. Um, it might have been a thing, but it was only for hospitals. People weren't allowed to carry it or anything. And uh, so I woke up, and I remember I couldn't open my eyes, and I couldn't breathe. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. And uh, I felt really, I, all I could do was feel things, you know, I, and I just like, observe what was going on around me even because I couldn't move any any body part I couldn't do anything and um, I was st stuck in my head for a while and I, I'm starting to notice that my breathing is slowing down and my heart my heart's slowing down as well and uh, I could hear my heartbeat fading and uh, I felt wet right here and what happened after that was the, was the scariest thing of my life. My heart slowed down and slowed down, and then it just stopped. And I was uh, still awake in my head. And I remember, you know, thinking, like, this is it. I've been running from this for a while. I knew that this was going to happen uh, my whole life. I never really got, I don't think I got a fair shot, you know, and uh, I never got to experience, I started thinking, you know, I never got to experience anything like love, um, like joy, like peace. I, you know, I never even got to experience what it was like to be comfortable in your own skin sober, you know, and um and all of a sudden, I started thinking about this God that I hated, that I didn't want anything to do with. Um, you know, if there was a God, I, he hated me, and I hated him back, and that was fine with me. Until, But, um, you know, there's not really such thing as a deathbed atheist, you know. And so when I'm laying on my deathbed, and I'm thinking in my head, and I can't move, and my heart just stopped, I'm sitting there, you know, screaming but no words are coming out of my mouth. I'm just so afraid of going. I'm feeling like I'm fading away. And um, all I could remember back then in my own head was saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, out of nowhere, felt like somebody hit me in the chest. It felt like, I can't describe to you what it felt like. It hurt so bad. But it felt like somebody literally like Spartan kicked me in the chest. I didn't realize how hard I was trying to get up and how, how tense I was and how I was trying to move, but I couldn't. I ran out the house. I ran. And to this day, honestly, I don't know what happened. But I do know that I ran, and I ran until I couldn't run anymore, and I was crying. It's the first time I cried in a really long time. I ran until I dropped to my knees. I was running down Grand and Elsinore. I looked down, there's blood. There's vomit all over myself. There's tears everywhere. There's vomit in my hair. There's blood everywhere. I ran until I couldn't run anymore. And I started thinking. And I thought that maybe that was what what happened. Was that God? Like, what's going on? Like, I shouldn't be alive. But I didn't pray still. I was like, that's too much of a coincidence. I'm not going to pray. You know, I'm not going to pray. For two weeks, I kept, my heart kept stopping in my sleep. And um, I've given myself permanent heart problems since my hero that since that heroin overdose, and uh, 
That's what happened. And I asked that my friend Jean to help me pray. Two weeks later, we were at a party, and I just couldn't handle the fear of death anymore. It was at my door every day, every day. I'm running. I'm running from it. I'm running from it. I'm looking for couches to sleep on. I'm, do, you know, and I, and on top of this, I got this big fear. I'm trying to stay sober on my own. I don't have a place to go because my mom won't let me come home. You know, like I got, I got nothing. And um, finally, I broke down. I asked my friend Jean to help me pray. And when I prayed with Jean. Yeah, he, he turned to me, he's like, are you sure you want to do this, man? You hate God, you know? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to do this, you know? So we went and we prayed. And right when I prayed, the first time I prayed, you know, some prayer like, God, I'm a sinner, you know, I need help, and I really meant it. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you, like, I... I heard God's voice or anything, but what I am going to tell you is I felt something I've never felt before. I felt warmth. For a second, I felt peace. When I had my eyes closed and I was praying, I felt this heat that came from like my legs and my arms to my chest. And, um, and I opened my eyes in that prayer and I was like, what the hell? This whole thing is real. You know, <laughs> and uh, and then I was freaked out. I went home and I um, went to my mom's house. Like, hey, mom, do you have a Bible? Like, I had to read more about this. I don't know if I'm tripping out. I don't know about what you know. And so uh, she gave me her Bible, and it's still the Bible I have today. And uh, and uh, you know, and that's kind of where I found God, and that was six years ago. When you're there hearing your heartbeat stop and there's a brokenness in that moment of saying, I'm sorry, a turn started to be made in your spirit then. A couple weeks later, crying out to God in repentance, what are some of the things God was beginning then to impress upon your heart? Some of the conversation you had to God? Um, well, a lot. You know, <laughs> I still was having all of these mental health problems, and I still couldn't stay sober, and my heart was still giving out. Um, so I had to... Uh, one of the things God really put on my heart was you can't do this alone. You need to go to rehab. You know, and so I went to rehab and um, rehab took me to my first AA meeting. And oh my God, when I walked in, I felt like I was at home for the first time. I felt like nobody, I, I always felt alone, always alone. And I went to my first meeting, and these people were, like, laughing and, like, sharing their stories and talking about God. And a lot of them were believers in Jesus, you know. And um, and I was like, whoa, you know, I, I'm, like, home, you know. So a lot of the conversation, God had to show me, God had to re-show me how to do everything. From, from learning how to live without anxiety, learning how to battle anxiety, um, learning how to be happy learning how to work a normal job and not be a drug dealer, uh, learning how to, everything. God took all the people I knew away from me, and it was just me and God for a very long time. And the first person that God brought back into, brought, brought into my life as a friend was Joe, you know? And uh, it was the first person, and uh, and. I, you know, I've had to learn how to redo everything. You know, God kind of works in my heart, like in my life like this. Like if our heart is a house and God's knocking on the door, you know, like I opened the door when I prayed to him the first time. But I'm so used to living a life of sin that I have a bunch of rooms in my house mm-hmm. and every one of them's locked, you know, because mm-hmm. um, I have the keys. With, with sex, with money, with all this stuff, you know. And that God just knocks on every one of those doors one, one, one door at a time. 
And it's always a fight. I'm always wrestling God on it, trying to see if I could go any other way, you know. And I can't. And the more I do that, I just hurt myself until finally I'm like, all right, God, like I can't do this anymore. Like you do your way. Because I have to be careful because for me to live without God, it means death. And it doesn't mean death like you're going to hell or anything like that. It means death like I literally will die. Like I'm living on borrowed time right now. No one knows when my heart's going to act up again. No one knows anything like that, you know. And um, the way I see it is I get to have this amazing adventure with God, you know. Um, I got to help create mine and Joseph's band, you know. I got to, I have a brother now in Joe. I have my friend Justin is back. He's my brother, you know. I get to live an amazing life that's like I'm kind of like a guy who doesn't really have a home. And I wake up every day and I'm like, okay, God. On a good day, I'm like, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? And that's led me everywhere. That's led me all up the West Coast. It's led me to Seattle. I, I get to have this amazing adventure. It's led me back home. Um, you know, I get to help people now. I'm a counselor at a rehab. You know, uh, I don't know. You know, the possibilities are really endless with God. All I wanted was to survive, and God gave me just everything that I never thought could happen. You know, I and the, the biggest thing God gave me was peace in my heart and in my mind. You know, mm-hmm. when when I'm following Him, <laughs> you know. Amen. It's a it's a joy to see how God's redeemed your life and is redeeming it, not just in the, keeping you alive and bringing it to Him. But um, this man has quite a ministry with people um, who are struggling with addictions job and his interactions and um, just the compassion that he has for people and uh, I know you and Joe and your band and some of the people you guys have stopped kind of music I go probably see but boy that kind of music is able to reach some people and um, connect with people that um, are in some streams of life that none of us in this room could probably touch and um, when we say that people are lost without Christ you've seen some of the hardest that are lost. And um, we just want to affirm, you know, God's work in your life. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd just like us to pray for Ozzy and um, his life as God continues to redeem it and to use it to reach other people. Um, the testimony, the faith story you heard, we were just sharing beforehand. I said, you know, you'll need to tweak it any for uh, church folks or those kinds of things or impressions. He says, no, he says, when I give my testimony in AA and other places, or your story, I guess they probably don't call it a testimony in those places. He says, I focus on God and I talk about Jesus. And uh, so what you heard, he continues to carry to other people. And uh, it's an ongoing story, as God said, continue to write new chapters, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Let God write good chapters. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we sang that we are no longer a slave to fear. I can't imagine. We can't imagine, Lord, the fear that someone like Ozzy has gone through as it relates to some of the abuses of life that he had fallen into. We are so grateful, God, that you gave him that kick in the heart. You kept him alive. And that every day is a gift. And so on this day, we thank you that we have received the gift from him a faith story that points to your power and your grace. Lord, may you just gather around him even in these days and weeks and months ahead and strengthen him in ways beyond even his present comprehension. Continue to fill him with the fullness of your spirit. Lord, lead him in the paths of righteousness for your namesake. Lord, may he not fear even though he has to walk into some people's lives and maybe some places where there's some shadows of death still going on. But Lord, may you be with him and may you use his life to bring people freshly redeemed to you. So Lord, we thank you for our brother, pray your blessing. God, we ask that you would send him out as a missionary, send him out into the highways and the byways of life. Even this very week, maybe there's networks, connections, people he comes across, whether in leading some of his AA meetings and some of the coaching that he does in that whole world. 
you lead to him the people right now that are crying out. And as we talked about this weekend, Lord, with the spiritual warfare, we come against the adversary in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are individuals, not only for Ozzy, but for us as a church, who are bound. Bound not only by sin, but bound by Satan himself. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan and your workers, you adversaries, you minions that seek to take life from people. Hope, joy, peace as well. You have no rights whatsoever. And Lord, just empower us as a body to go forth and continue to reach people in all stratas of life, all dimensions of life. Lord, for one lostness in your sight is no different than another lostness. But Lord, one victory and one redemption is truly the same. Because it's through your blood that you shed your death and your resurrection that you defeated death. And Lord, we thank you for this testimony of the one you brought back from the dead today. And you've given life and you're enabling him to bring life to others. In your name, God's people said, Amen. Take the mic there, Mike. Share with people what's up. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. You are such an awesome God. Not only are you redeeming Ozzy, Lord, but you want him to be whole, completely whole. And that means a complete wholeness in his heart, a healing in his heart, Father. Mm. Show Ozzy, Lord, that when he received you, Lord, he also received that healing power that's in his spirit. Help him, Lord, to transform by his faith that healing power into his body. Lord, that healing power that's going to restore his heart, rebuild his heart, and make him whole so he can serve you. For all the days of his life. Show him Lord. You've already given it to him. You gave it to him 2,000 years ago. All we have to do is believe it and receive it. Thank you for Ozzy Lord. Just anoint him. Bless him. Guide him. Cause him to be strong. In your name we pray Jesus. Amen. Amen. I've been waiting two years for him to <laughs> unload that burden. But uh, the reason we waited was we knew there was a timing and there was a season that was appropriate for us as a body. I thank you for your receptivity to receive that kind of testimony. And I trust that you'll be not only encouraged by it, but that you'll be mobilized by it. Because it may not be uh, people that are uh, overdosing on heroin or caught up in alcoholism, but there's many angles um, at which we can fall, but only one angle that we can stand straight in life. Amen? Amen. And uh, we all have fallen at different angles, but in Jesus Christ, we can stand true and strong. And that's what we're here for today is to give glory to him. There's this verse that's actually in Hebrews that I think sort of sort of ties together where his testimony is and where I want to see his head today for our introduction to this series. Hebrews 2.14 says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus Christ, too, shared in their humanity. He became like us. So that by his death we might break the power of him. Now who's that him? That's the other him. Who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. The early church didn't have some of the nice amenities we have in life. The early centuries of this world's history, there was a lot more challenge in a lot of different ways. Some of the modern medicine that we enjoy, some of the great opportunities of travel. You think about all that we occupy our life with. In the early centuries of the early church, one of the greatest fears was the fear of death. Death. In fact, they had different saints that were saints that would help, you know, sort of hold off uh, the enemy of death, those type of things. And we find today that a lot of times we don't think too much about death until you hear a story like that or maybe somebody close to you dies. Um, but in general, if you were to take a survey probably of people today, it's not as strong as it was back in those early centuries, the fear of death. We think that we can keep on living forever. People died a lot earlier back in those years from various things. I have a question to you this morning. Do you fear death? Because a lot of people do fear death. 
Now, if you're a Christ follower today, you're saying, no, because of that verse you just read, I don't fear death, you know, and I know there's hope for me and, and there is an afterlife, those kinds of things. But I tell you what, even if you're walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, there's this reality of our humanity that comes front and center so close. And we start to have more and more as we grow older, sometimes this fear of death. And it's not just the fear of death for our years that are numbered, but Life becomes more precious because of the precious one God brings into our life. How many of you started to maybe fear a little bit about your own death or security in life after you had your first child? I mean, how, how is this? This precious child, you love the child, how beautiful. But then you start thinking, this child needs me. And i got to stay healthy for this child. And even up into their teenage years, you, you are concerned about your kids. Whether it's their health when they're a little little or real young or whether you uh, stay up late at night when your teenager's out with the car and you're just wanting to make sure they're safe back in the garage. You start to give your life away to other people and then you start to realize how fragile life is. I remember when I was growing up, when I was in high school, uh, I used to do a lot of painting around the farm, and we would, uh, they would send me 150 feet up in the air in a uh, in a, a grain leg that would take grain up, and then it would send it down to different grain buildings, and I would be up there hanging out with no apparatus around me, with a big Wagner spray gun spraying this metal. I would come back, I'd be covered with silver because it was galvanized metal, and I looked like the Tin Man. I look back now in those years and I go, what was I doing? That was foolish. I could have fell real easily. Since then, they've changed their ways and they now have harnesses for the people that work and do that kind of thing. But back then, you know, hey, this and that. You don't even think about death. You know, you know, in your high school, a lot of times, you know, you don't even think about death. And then some somebody dies in a car wreck or something. And then, and then, you, then you all pause really long. And it's, it's hard. Somebody you personally know has died. And, some, and you step back. But then life picks back up and you move on and you sort of forget about it to some degree. And that's probably good. It's God's protection because he called you to live. He didn't call you to die. But as you get older and you work through, there's this mindfulness, the fragileness and the fear of death. And so I'm mindful that even though today we have a lot of great medical practices and hope and things we can do in our life, underneath the skin of human beings is this fear of death. And that testimony story you just heard of Ozzy, when I first heard it, it just grabbed me. To think that you would be paralyzed laying on a floor in your own blood, and your own vomit kind of thing, and you slowly would hear your heart stop. I can't comprehend that. So grateful that God, through his mercy, kick-started that heart, and he took off and began to ran, and God worked his way in Ozzy's life to bring him back to himself and to give him the life that he has. About the fear of death, though. Is that something you like to hear talked about? What about the people that are around you on a weekly basis? There's fear. But, you know, if you took a survey, probably, you would have maybe half of the hands go, yeah, I have a little bit of a fear of death. But then there's this whole other group of people and a lot of times it's younger. You don't even think about death. The idea about dying doesn't even cross your mind. In fact, there's some have not even even been to a funeral in their life. And you're like, wow, you just sort of go on. It's like, well, that's not a fear that I have. That verse sort of, yeah, you know, free those who all their lives were held in slavery to the fear of death. I'm not a slave to fear of death. I'm like, hey, life's full. Let's go at it. There's things to do, people to see, opportunities to take on. And so you're just gung-ho living straight forward. But I want to ask you this question. Is there another fear maybe that seizes you, that the adversaries, the devil uses to seize you and keep you from the life that God intended that's as equally as powerful as a fear of death? Yeah, I'm asking you. You don't need to say it out loud. But is there a fear in your life right now that grips you? And walking through some of my preparations for last month related to spiritual warfare and understanding how the devil works and bringing us down in life. I started to realize um, through some of my readings that there was another fear. 
And that this fear is as powerful as the fear of death. And I like how it's phrased. It's the fear of scarcity. Do you know what the fear of scarcity is? Let me give you this definition. Because that's what we're going to be talking about this month. Courageous generosity is the overarching theme and how to live a generous life, how to be filled with God's generosity in all ways. But courageous generosity is about overcoming the fear of scarcity. Scarcity, Bryn Brown says, and daring greatly, is this. Scarcity is the never enough problem. Scarcity thrives in a culture where everyone is hyper aware of lack. Everything from safety and love to money and resources feels restricted or lacking. We spend inordinate amounts of time calculating how much we have, want, and don't have, and how much everyone else has, needs, and wants. Can you relate to that? Think about your week. Were you worried? About how much you have or didn't have? Another writer says this. For me, and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. <laughs> now, this morning, you couldn't say that. Right? You had an extra hour of sleep with the daylight savings time, right? I was glad to see so many of you on time once for church. Thank you. <laughs> For me and for many of others, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think uh, to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with the litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to the revere of lack. This internal condition of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity, lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. The fear of scarcity. Is it prominent in your life? It's prominent in my life. I was thinking about this week, you know, one of the things I sort of do on a regular basis, maybe even a couple of times a week, is I pull open my Excel spreadsheet that has my whole budget on it, has all my counts up and down. And, and when you start to get those educational counts and other things, you start to have a little bit more of a spread here and there and, and properties and stuff. And you're like, okay, am I I'm going to navigate through this? I do it for a church. The church has a cash flow spreadsheet that stretches over 12 months. So, you know, when there's weak means sometimes, you're like, okay, how do, how do we navigate through this as a body? And how's that going to end up a few months out? I try to keep tabs on it, but not be paranoid about it. I'm trying to be responsible, right, for my home or, or as a leader in the church. But the reality is it can start to consume you, this idea of scarcity. There's not going to be enough. And don't you... Don't you find that interesting with this comment that this Lynn uh, Twist makes here, that before our first waking thought of the day, uh, before we wake up, our first waking thought is, I didn't get enough sleep. Enough, enough. Do I have enough? Do I have enough sleep? Do I have enough success? Do I have enough relevance? Do I have enough money? Do I have, you know, enough time in my future? Two experiences of scarcity that affect our ability to love God and each other fully, joyfully, and sacrificially are these two. Not only not having enough, but also not being enough. 
We live in a culture where, hey, the people that are on the, you know, they, they get the notoriety, they get the popularity, or, you know, they, they, they made it on The Voice, or America's Got Talent. You know, you're always thinking about people prominence, and we watch people with prominence. We watch uh, uh, Hollywood celebrities, we watch sports stars, we watch people, you know, on the upper right trajectory of life, up and to the right in the business world. We go to seminars, we hear people, and we aspire, oh, that would be great. I read about, uh, you have to excuse this sort of how the phrasing of this was. I wasn't thinking about saying this, but I came across an article this week that said pastor's porn. I'm like, well, this will be interesting. What is he talking about? And it's talking about in his early days in ministry, he never compared himself to other pastors and how they preached. He never thought about standing up on a Sunday morning and that he had to be, you know, really sharp and powerful and witty and fun. You know, he just wanted to rightly divide the word of God. But then you start listening to all the other preachers. And he says, I started to think about it. And he says, I didn't worry about this in my early years because there wasn't the Internet. He says, there was the internet, but it was clunky and slow, and nobody downloaded videos. You know, if you wanted to hear another preacher, you had to go get the cassette or the CD or order it. And, you know, nobody did that because that took time to get back. But now you can download any of the most powerful, popular preachers, and, and people travel and speak. And he says, you know, so what happens with the whole concept of Pastor Horn is that, you know, you're looking, oh, wow, look at that. Aren't they really good? I need to be more like them. Or look about this person. I need... And there's this weightedness that comes upon people in ministry sometimes because we don't don't measure up. We don't look like that. We don't sound like that. The reality is just not with pastors. It's with everybody. It's like, oh, he's not as, you know, he's not as good as, you know, so and so and you fill in the blank. Now, I am glad that we have the internet. I'm glad that we can have sharp teaching and you should be engaging and you shouldn't be boring, all right, as a communicator. But sometimes you just find movement from one place to another place, or, hey, I'm just going to stay at home and I'll watch this online. It's like, wait a second. It's not about some preaching product. It's not about how good the band is. It's about coming together to worship Jesus in a community of people. And so even in my own life, this fear of not being enough can come about in my own heart and life. As a pastor. How about you? Do you have the fear of scarcity of not being enough, not knowing enough? Do you remember the people in Moses' day after they crossed the Red Sea? We sang a song this morning about him parting the sea, stepping in the sea. They got on the other side and they had a few things given to them. Freedom from the Egyptians. God even provided them with manna from heaven. Chapter 17, after he's done all that. At the Lord's command, the whole community, uh, Exodus 17, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from the place and from place to place. I just love that idea of the wilderness named sin. Eventually, they camped <laughs> Rophidim. But there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more the people complained against Moses give us water to drink they demanded quiet Moses replied why are you complaining against me and why are you testing the Lord but tormented by thirst they continued to argue with Moses why did you bring us out of Egypt are you trying to kill us our children and our livestock with thirst now we might like to be hard on these folks but I imagine if we were with them we'd probably be the same they haven't had water. Things haven't been going well. And so they begin complaining. All right. And they were probably pretty good at complaining, according to Moses. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. So it's pretty serious, right? And the Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock of Mount Sinai, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Massah, which means test. And Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, 
is the Lord here with us or not? And I think in our fear of scarcity, many times that really is our articulation. We may not say it out loud, but maybe there's a lack in your life, a lack of resources, a lack of relevance, a lack of notoriety with others. You're just living your small little life in insignificance and nobody even seems to care. But inside of you is this fear of scarcity, of not having enough and not being enough. And you sort of cry out, well, is the Lord here with me in my life or not? I've been there. That comes from a fear of scarcity. A fear of scarcity. Well, what happened in this situation, right? God came through. They cried out and they complained. I mean, they're being transparent and real. And Moses like, oh my gosh, they're going to stone me. But he is obedient to what God says. And he strikes the rock and God provides them with water. Even though, I mean, just two chapters before, they had water, but it was bitter, and then God turned it to good. I mean, they had these examples before them that God comes through. And it's time, maybe not in the way you think he might come through, but he comes through. And so I just want to say this initially as we begin this month. When facing the fear of scarcity of life, lean into the awareness of the Lord's presence to date. And trust gratefully in his provisions for the days to come. Is the Lord here with us or not? The fear of scarcity gripping you? The reason Ozzy's able to be grateful for every day of his life is because the presence of God was with him and, and that heartbeat that stopped started again and his life was rescued. Every day, that you have, even if you don't have enough for the resources or other things, you should live in a place of understanding God's presence is with you and his provisions are sufficient for your day and the days to come. It's the month of Thanksgiving, right? Ah, duh. But yet we don't live in a disposition of gratitude all that much. Even when the Lord has not only redeemed our life and given provisions in this life, but has assured us of the life to come. There is no fear of death in Christ, ultimately, because this life doesn't end when this heart of flesh stops. You are not, as the really good saying I like, and I say it often, you are not a human being having a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. And one of these days you will be clothed with immortality and live forever. That's to your credit this morning. If you're a Christ follower, if you're not a Christ follower and you're engaging interest in what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I say that in and of itself is good enough news to make some changes. But God not only gives you an abundance for the eternal life, he gives you provision and abundance i believe in measure that we need for this life to live it with joy and to not live it underneath the fear of scarcity the devil will take the fear of scarcity and put strongholds on your life and if you succumb to those strong if you come succumb to those fears those strongholds get locked around you more and more why is it that some of the people that are most impoverished in the world, when you go and visit them mission trips otherwise, seem to be some of the most joy-filled people? They don't have all the gadgets and the cars and the, and, and the responsibilities that we have and even opportunities, but they're content and they have joy in their spirit. It's not about acquiring more. It's not about scaling the success ladder more. It's about finding your abundance, and your peace in Christ. Philippians 2, 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. He had a lot of fear, rightful fear that could come upon him. He had given up an awful lot to become like us. But what he did in the moment 
of the cross that was standing before him, he remained obedient. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when facing the fear of scarcity, lean into the awareness of God's presence to date and trust graciously in his provisions for the day to come. But I add this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus in these moments, in these days, in this month in particular. At least we can try for one month, right? Who humbled himself in full obedience to God and placed expectant faith in him to be raised in abundance again. Raised to life, exalted the right hand. God was faithful. Sometimes life is full and weighted. You may come in here very weighted down with the burdens of life, and though you don't want to describe it as fear, you'd have to admit there is some fear there. Service is about to close in a few minutes, and we'll have a song again. You'll walk back out those doors. How will you walk out those doors? Will you walk out encumbered by the stronghold of the fear of scarcity in life, not having enough and not being enough? Or will you just remain humble and obedient to what God's put before you for that day? You may not be the most successful person in the world. You may not have some of the means that some of your friends and relatives have. But you can have an abundance by just being faithful to what he's given you and finding your rest and your joy in Christ. Matthew 6:24. I close with this. It's a passage that we know, many of us. But boy, oh boy, how many times has it come back so hard to put into practice every day of our life? Matthew 6:24. No one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and enslave to money. Nothing wrong with money. The love of money and being enslaved to it. Yep. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Life isn't, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the birds when you walk out of here today. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? When I read this passage, uh, this is Jesus. It's the passage of him giving the Sermon on the Mount. He's standing on this hillside along the Sea of Galilee. And so he's just preaching and he's, he's pointing out to them all the nature that's around. Look, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. They don't worry. Why do you worry? And why worry about your clothing like the lilies of the field, he points out then, and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? The fear of scarcity. Don't let it come around you as a stronghold. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously. And he will give you everything. Everything that you need. Invite the band to come up. We're going to sing that last song you close with, right, Joe? I'm no longer a slave to fear, for you are a child of God. As we begin this Thanksgiving month, I pray that you will walk into it with an attitude of gratitude, but that you will also walk into it with a heart open to live a life of what we're going to be referring to as courageous generosity. I believe God has special things in store for us again this month as we're obedient to hear his spirit speak. I have the opportunity to get away and write some this week. I need to for some of my graduate program that I am. It's going to be related to what we spoke on in October. You can pray for me this week, but I'm going to be right back here next Sunday morning. 
I'm not speaking next Sunday morning. We're going to be blessed to have Josh Axine, one of our elders, share with us. A message he says has been a burden on his heart uh, for a good period of time. So I'm going to be here chairing Josh on next Sunday with you. Next Sunday, we'll give address to this. That's the Sunday before Thanksgiving. The Sunday after Thanksgiving, Mr. Yarbrough's over here. He's going to be talking. He's going to be addressing the issue of fear as it's related to his life and the abundance that God's called us to. So I want you to be engaged this month. We start into the holiday season. I know schedules get full. Be with the body of Christ. Be engaged in your life groups as you talk about this, which we're talking about on Sunday mornings. Come next Sunday night as we gather at the Axines for baptisms. If you'd like to be baptized, I think it's one of the defining moments of your life. If you've never been baptized after becoming a follower of Jesus, then let me know. Mark the back of that card. Turn it in as the offering baskets are passed. We want to celebrate life and we want to help you grow spiritually. We want to help you break the strongholds of fear, whether it's the fear of death or the fear of scarcity. God does not intend for you to live in the condition you are in. And we are called to not be slaves to fear. For we are children of the Lord, and He will give us the abundance and the provisions of our life. We just stay steadfast and obedient to that which is before us. We humble ourselves and become obedient even to death. May you stand, ushers, come, receive the Lord's offerings your connection cards. Let's sing this with enthusiasm. You unravel me with the melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance. Till all my fears are gone But I'm no longer a slave fear I am a child of God But I'm no longer a slave fear I am a child of God My mother's womb, you have chosen me. Oh, I my name, and I've been born again to your family. Your blood flows through my veins, and I'm no longer a slave. I hear a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God oh, 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 oh. Let's sing this out, come on See, so I can walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I can sing and sing. God, that I am a child. Of God. Let's look up one more time. Come on. You split the sea so I can walk right through it. This is a
Jesus Christ, the one who has broken every chain, who defeated death, so you no longer have to be a slave to the fear of death or the slave to the fear of scarcity. That Jesus, may He go with you. May He abound in your life richly this week as you seek to do His work to reach and to save the lost. You're on mission. See you next week.